All right, the playoffs are here. Time now for our playoff, first playoff edition, I should say, of Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. Glad to have you checking it out. Thanks for battling with us throughout the season here. For those that have listened, for those that have told others to, uh, well, to tune in, to download it, and then, of course, uh, for those that have also sent some whiskey suggestions via social media, those uh, have been appreciated as well. Chris Kerber, Tim Woodburn with you, along with John Hadley, and guys, we get ready for the playoffs. The regular season for the St. Louis Blues has ended. On the podcast, we're going to jump around. We'll hit, we'll hit every playoff series here and let everybody know what we think the scenarios will be in that situation. But, of course, we'll keep it blue-centric as we have all season long. And uh, the season comes to a close with a come-from-behind victory last night over the Minnesota Wild. And, well, here we go. The fun time starts in the National Hockey League, and this is where uh, a lot of projections go awry, don't you think? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a very fair assessment because we have a tendency to look at standings without comprehension. You know, you look at the standings and you think to yourself, the New York Islanders have no chance. Well, frankly, if the New York Islanders had Anders Lee, I think they'd win this series. They don't, but they still could. Same with the St. Louis Blues. I mean, when you get right down to it, there is no sport that varies more from regular season to postseason than the NHL, which is why not only between the grind, but the ability to uh, in, in the truer sense, implement a scheme that allows you to advance much further than thought. It, it's the best. It's the best playoffs in all of sports, unequivocally the best. I think this was a fascinating season for the St. Louis Blues that certainly was given added intrigue by virtue of the ridiculous number of, of injuries and setbacks they had. If you were to break this season down into thirds, Chris, the fifty-six game season, the normal season is eighty-two, so. Normally, you'd break a season down into quarters, but we'll break this season down into thirds. I think it's interesting to maybe pontificate as to who the MVP of the Blues was for each of those three periods of the season. I, I think Justin Falk would, would carry weight for the first period of the season MVP with maybe an honorable mention of Jordan Cairo. I think Coach Craig Berube deserves the second period MVP for the middle third of the season just for keeping this team together when John Hadley and others were using phrases like, you just survived March. You know, when you were going into that month with all the decimation of injuries that you had, I, I got to give the coach credit for holding this team together, giving them the belief they can continue to win. And, and in the third period of the season, boy, this team would not be in the playoffs without Mike Hoffman. I realize Ryan O'Reilly was a monster as well the third period of the season, but I think I would give them both co-MVPs for the third period MVP of the season. And having said all that, who's the MVP of this team at the end of the regular season? A guy that wasn't the MVP of any of those three periods, and that's David Perron, who had such a great breakout year, was on was on track to smash his career record or his career total for points per game, uh, which he would have if they'd had a full 82 game season. And uh, and I'm excited to see if all of them can meld together and all be MVPs moving forward and and shock the world because no one's given this team a chance. All the odds makers giving the Blues the third or the fourth worst chance uh, of winning the Cup of the 16 that qualify, and most of them given Colorado and Vegas in that order, one and two odds on winning it overall. So well, far, I think that's I, I think that's logically why the Blues are so far down. I mean, I have a great deal of belief that this system that this team implements provides them an opportunity uh, to win in both series. But by the same token, it's going to take a Herculean effort 
a disciplined effort, and a perfect effort. Because if Colorado plays their best game, the Blues lose. If Vegas plays their best game, the Blues lose. It's up to the Blues to play a perfect game and alter their style. Those two teams are definitely better hockey teams right now than the St. Louis Blues. You know what but the- man-for-man matchups, playoff hockey, I think the Blues are going to surprise people because I think there's a great, great deal of difference between how you play regular season and postseason hockey. And this is one of the few years that I really believe the Blues are built to succeed better in the postseason than the regular season. So the one thing that I've thought of over the last couple of days, as you get ready to try to break down the Blues and what you need to see happen in this playoff series, you say, okay, what question marks do you have? What's fascinating to me is the same question marks that the three of us discussed at the beginning of this season are the same question marks that you have right now going into the playoffs. I mean, almost every single one of them. Except, well, and, and though we didn't have a question about the goaltending. Some people did. We didn't, right? But but if you look at it, the same question marks. Sanford, Blay, Thomas, Dunn, Tarasenko, Schwartz. Uh, you know, who's going to step up and, and, and fill in some roles? Who's going to play left wing for Ryan O'Reilly? How are, you know, how are the special teams going to shake out with the changes that you've had? Um, you know, I guess, I guess the only one question mark, which again to us wasn't one, but some people were asking is, okay, what type of rebound year does Justin Falk have? And he had a great one. But the ironic thing is, is the teams made the playoffs. They finished with eight wins in their last 12 games to seal the deal. And I can honestly think that you go into the playoffs with the same question marks that you had at the beginning of the year. Well, one of the things that you mentioned among all of those things that you mentioned is Tarasenko. And I, I, you know, I I never saw a game that he played in, in which, Ooh, this is, this is, this guy's back to an elite status. He never got, he never got his mojo back. He never got his groove back like Stella did. You know, I, I, I wonder when and if he does come back, if Ruby will throw him to an Alexander Steen like third or fourth line presence just to get his energy and his hockey skill out there and not rely on him for the top-tier first-team power play, first- or second-line unit that he's used to in his career. When and if he comes back, that's a big thing. And, of course, on the other side of things, you've got Nathan McKinnon, who didn't play the last two regular games of the season. Uh, he also missed games on May 7th and May 8th. And, ironically, Colorado coach Jared Bettner said the injuries were completely separate of one another. So he's banged up in more than one way. I mean, the guy, the guy missed eight games this year, and he still finished eighth in the league in scoring. He's a dynamic player. His, his health, I think, is the key to whether or not – if he's on and he – I found myself rooting for Colorado to win because Vegas dominated the Blues this year more than Colorado did. And then I'm like, be careful what you ask for. You know, they, they won their last six – they won their last five games of the year. They allowed six goals in those five games, scoring 19. I mean, the Blues are going to face, if they win this series, the two best teams in the National Hockey League. And, and – God, God help anybody if the Blues get through that because if, if they get through those two teams, look out. Well, the, the, I, I, again, oftentimes it's the final three series. This year it happens to be every series. But again, that's there's there's times that you that the one doesn't have to be prophetic. 
simplicity does the best job of description. And in the NHL, there's rarely a gimme series. There's rarely a gimme series. All we have to do is look apart at the current with with the uh, with the divisional foes. I mean, Minnesota absolutely dominated Las Vegas in the win column. I mean, did we completely blow them off? I, I I don't see Minnesota winning that series, but it's not going to be an easy one for Las Vegas. I mean, there's I, I went up and down those series several times today with people, and I I just don't see a gimme. You know, I mean, a lot of people and logically point towards Montreal and, and Toronto, but that, I mean that's a, that's a rivalry older than the three of us put together. I mean, they're, they're, Montreal will leave everything on the ice to beat Toronto. It's just that simple. The Islanders struggled down the stretch, but come postseason hockey, I don't know about you boys, but when it comes to the way that Lou Lamarillo likes to play with the way that uh, Barry coaches on the bench, you know, again, their style of play is suited towards playoff hockey. I'm more questioning whether or not the Penguins are going to have the discipline and the physicality to play up to what I expect to see from the Islanders. Washington, Boston, are you kidding me? Incredible. Florida, Tampa, incredible. I'll tell you what right now. They're scuffling, but I don't think Winnipeg is going in five against Edmonton. That's going to be a phenomenal series. The NHL is one of these leagues, one of the very few leagues in professional sports that provides you a semblance of balance that's undeniable and scheme and grit often determines in the end, not always just pure talent, scheme and grit often in the end determines who wins and loses a series. And I have a sneaky suspicion that we're going to see a plethora of six and seven game series in this playoff. All right, let's the Canadians. The, go ahead, Tim. Just also, I'll just say real quick, the Canadian series are the ones that I'm most fascinated by. You know, Montreal and Toronto haven't met in the playoffs since 1979, for God's sake. That's 42 years. And all those years that Gretzky and company dominated Winnipeg, they beat them six out of six in playoff series. Winnipeg was just their whipping boy. Every year they won all those cups in a row, and every year they advanced. I think this is the year Winnipeg has a legitimate chance to take them down. And, and watching Montreal and Toronto play in a playoff game, uh, I think that's just fascinating because it's, 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 it's something that just happens once every never. All right, and going back to your point, Curbs, going back to your point real quick, what I find to be most fascinating is that I'm going to take your, your point one step further about having virtually the same questions, the very same questions, going into the playoffs that we had during the regular season, which to me is probably carries a much more positive connotation than it did during the regular season because we've seen Cairo begin to emerge. We've seen Hoffman start to find himself. Pareko is what you guys thought he was. I didn't think Pareko was a legit number one. I thought you. I thought he could fill the one hole, but I didn't see him in the same light as what I consider to be the true number ones. Watching what this guy's gone through and with his play, this is this is tenacity. It's starting to make me believe I'm a hundred percent wrong. So if the Blues just get a couple affirmatives out of the questions with what they've also developed, you know, I mean, I, I'm just telling you right now, boys, I am not going to be remotely surprised. 
if this team's in the semis or if this team's in the finals. Not, I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying I'm not going to be remotely surprised. All right, let's take a look at it from this way, from your, your guys' opinions, and I'll throw it out there too. For the St. Louis Blues to beat this series, or to beat the Colorado Avalanche in this series, what has to happen? Tim, we'll start with you. Well, they have to beat them on special teams. You know, Colorado and the Blues both finished in the top eight in the NHL on the power play, and we all know how pathetic the Blues power play was at the halfway point of the season. They were they were awful. It was a joke. And for them to go from joke to basically the number one power play in the NHL in the last four or five weeks of the season, I mean, that's almost unheard of. And Colorado is able to draw a lot of penalties from the Blues. It's the one bugaboo they've had against this team. They went 3-5 and five against them. Colorado consistently has more power play opportunities than the Blues. I think if the Blues win the special teams, they win this series. Because I think the Blues are a better team than Colorado 5-on-5. Five five. But if you, if you get constantly 4-5 and five and 6 chances against on the power play against you, they're going to destroy you. And they can't afford that. They have to play ultra-discipline hockey and stay out of the box and just just win that win that special team's advantage. And that, the winner of the special team, I believe, will win this series. But Man, the Blues were certainly incredible offensively in the in the in the second half of the season. It was a, it was an, it was an amazing turnaround, almost almost unparalleled in, in Blues history of what kind of a special teams turnaround that was from a first half to a second half of the season. Uh, I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to say five on five because I think the Blues have matchups that are advantageous five on five, and I want to see I want to see Colorado beat the Blues five on five. Because even a guy like McKinnon, as much respect as I have for McKinnon, as much as I actually enjoy watching this cat play, you know, this year he has been absolutely unstoppable on the power play. If memory serves correctly, he has 33 goals, 25 coming on the power play. I think I read where there's only nine players in the NHL that have more overall goals than Nathan McKinnon has on the power play. The Blues five-on-five can play with them and the discipline to keep Colorado's power play off the ice will be the difference in my mind because as much as I appreciate what you're saying, Tim, as much as I appreciate how much the Blues have improved their power play, Colorado unquestionably, if they don't have the most dangerous, it's certainly among the top two or three most dangerous power plays in the in the NHL. So the Blues can beat them five on five and beating them means also being disciplined and just having a few penalties. If not, they'll lose this series. I guarantee that. So I've got, I've got two key factors on the ice for me. One agreeing with kind of both of you there leads to discipline. If the Blues can play against Colorado the way they played uh, discipline-wise over their last handful of games, that's going to be a positive sign because that's going to keep Colorado's power play from going to work. And they got a lot of momentum in the eight-game season series off their power play, and they won games, frankly, off the power play. The Blues outscored them five on five. So discipline discipline is really a huge key on that one. Now, Colorado's going to get some power plays. They've got good speed. They, the Blues have got to go stick on puck and make sure they don't get those sticks even to the ice, you know, and 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 give the referees even a reason to potentially botch a call because of that. You cannot take those chances here. You've got to be you've got to defend with your feet and really really work your tail off to get yourself in the right position. So, keeping it 5 on 5. 
The other real key here is the play at the lines. Hard, smart, direct play at the lines. Not trying to stick handle through three Colorado defensemen at the blue line entering the zone. Not trying to stick handle past two Colorado forwards trying to leave the zone. Make the smart play. If, if you have a chance to get it out, get it out. Live another day. Let your team regroup defensively. But don't make stupid, soft plays at the lines that's going to feed the transition game for Colorado. Because if the Blues can somehow slow down the transition game, control that puck, get it in deep from the hash marks down in the offensive zone, and really make Colorado work from their own instead of shortening the ice and letting them go a two-thirds game or a half game in transition because you're constantly turning it over, you can wear them down. They don't want to play that way. They don't want to play that style you know, for, for the entire 60 minutes. They're built on their speed. They're built on their transition, right? And they're going to force you to make some mistakes. So to me, if you can avoid as many of those as possible, you've just given yourself a really good chance. It's incredible that Devon Tays and Kale McCarr averaged right at 25 minutes a game during the regular season. Craig Bruby's interview earlier today that I heard indicate I'm astounded at the, I don't want to call it arrogance, but the, at the confidence that both he and Ryan O'Reilly had in their comments last night and today. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly, if this isn't a headline grabber, we're going to beat him. He flat out told the St. Louis media last night after the game, we're going to beat them. That's, a, that's unbelievable to hear something like that. You, you never see something like that these days. Usually you hear, oh, I think we got a good chance. But, but even Baruby today was right behind O'Reilly. If we can get the puck in behind their D, I think we can take advantage of them in their zone. How about those two comments right there, boy? Boom and boom. Body blow, body blow. Well, and, 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 and the Blues can go a long way in dictating that happening because the Blues have to be aggressive. You know, I mean, we've seen we've seen guys come after the Blues defense in the past. We've seen them come after Dunn. I mean, the Blues need the Colorado defense is not a big, strong defense. It's an incredibly skilled defense. I want to see what Colorado, how Colorado's defense performs after the Blues physically pound them for two, three, four games. I want to see how they produce in Game Five, Six, and Seven. I want to see how McCarr, who's supposed to be maker, but his parents didn't know how to spell. I want to see how this kid does when 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 he's getting drilled. And I can tell you this much right now: it doesn't. It does, I, I may be sixty, but I have a memory, and I will remember what Braden Shen did to people in 2019. I remember David Perron playing as physical as I had ever seen him in my life. I watched David Perron series after series walk into the opposition kitchen rattle the pots and pans and start eating out of their refrigerator. We know about O'Reilly, and we know about some of the guys on the third and fourth line who are capable of doing things. Okay, but you know what? I, but here's the difference. Now, now, so you bring up a good point. My question is, is are they going to do it? Because right now you have a third line. Now, we'll see how he makes the third line. But when you've gone more late recently with a third line of like a Thomas, Kyru, and Hoffman, okay, you're not going to get the physicality. I mean, that that that's giving the other team a break there. They're, you don't have a banger on every line like the Blues had two years ago. Um, how consistent is Zach Sanford going to be? Is Sammy Blay going to go in there and disrupt things if that's the fourth line? Do they have to put Ivan Barbashev on the fourth line to add that physicality back at center and shift one of those other guys up to the left wing on the top line? 
I agree with you that they can get in, and if they can get in on the forecheck and use that physicality, controlling the puck down low, eating it along the boards rather than giving it up so your line mates can change, doing some things like that that not only take time off the clock, right, but could hem Colorado into their zone, and then maybe you get some mismatches if you're able to get some changes. That's a critical point to the series. They've shown at times the ability to do it, but you're going to need everybody jumping on board to do it. And then the other, really, if there's any one question that you've got, like, you know that there's a blueprint for success in this series for the Blues guys, right? But I'll, I'll tell you what, like, like to me, the second, this series may end up getting won or lost in period number two of every single game for both teams. If the Blues improves their second periods against Colorado, who have just been dynamic, because the second period is where you seem to really, because of long changes, because you're getting caught out there, especially in the altitude in, in Denver, right? Because of where the bench is compared to the to the uh, you know defensive zone, and 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 be you you can catch teams, and that's where Colorado's been their absolute best. Well, I will put it to you this way: I, I find this to be a unique dynamic with this team. Because I truly believe the three of those four lines can do the physical damage. But on the flip side, I'm not necessarily opposed to that third lineup that you mentioned. Because I can tell you this much, there's not going to be too many teams in this tournament that will have a more skilled line or potentially, than potentially being the operative word there, productive third line. Because you're, talk- you're, you're talking about some truly skilled, talented individuals that could prove to be a legitimate matchup problem for a number of teams. I mean, I I am 100% sold that Hoffman has found his zone. I'm 100% sold that Cairo is for real. And I still believe that Robert Thomas has upper-tier potential. I mean, I I would be fascinated. By the way, Robert Thomas will smack you. He'll hit you. He'll hit you. I'll I, I tell you this much: we see Mike, we see Mike Hoffman lay someone out, and and it's going to be cats and dogs living together. A guy like Mike Hoffman go down and having a physical game and a big game can alter this series in total, pump up that team, and make a big difference. I am fascinated with this matchup. I, I in the end, I don't know if we're going to do predictions, but I can I can spoil it right now and tell you, I have no prediction other than there will be a game seven. Colorado. I realize we only saw seven teams this year, but and as good as Vegas is, and with all due respect to Vegas, Colorado's the fastest team I've seen play in the NHL this year. I don't, I don't see any team constantly on the rush, constantly on the fly, plays wide open hockey as this team does, and yet spectacularly, they're defensively a shutdown team. Philip Krubauer had a goals against average less than two this year, and 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 the one thing that I like about the Blues in this series is that even though they didn't fare very well against Colorado this year. Grubauer is going to start, but he's not in their head because it seemed like every time they played Colorado, he was on COVID protocol or he was dinged up or whatever. They, you know, Philip Grubauer is not in the St. Louis Blues head. I, I think it's going to be important for Jordan Bennington to get into the Colorado Avalanche head and say, what's it going to take to beat this guy? Jordan Bennington is going to have to be far and away, not just by a little, far and away, the better goalie in this series to win. Because yes. Colorado's a shutdown team, and John Hadley says, you know, I'll be going to see how bruised up McCarr is after four games, five games. John, I'd love to see that, but you can't hit what you can't catch. And this is the fastest team I've seen in the NHL. Got to slow them down, and your goalie's got to be better. 
Played well, I can tell you, I, I'll tell you what, St. Louis Blues began to slow him down. And I give, again, you, you, you talk about giving credit to the coaching staff, Curbs. I give them credit. Because the St. Louis Blues realized at some point in time this year, screw it. They are fast. We're playing tentative. We're playing scared. We're playing defensive. The Blues started coming out offensive. Blues started hitting them. And that made a difference in, in, in down a stretch against Colorado. I think the Blues have found what has to be done, exactly what they did in 2019. And that's be the aggressor physically right from the get-go. And that will be enough to negate. Because I'll tell you what right now, passive, fast skaters become tentative, slowed skaters when all of a sudden they have 42 bruises that they're tending to on a nightly basis. You know, Colorado, when they after winning their second Stanley Cup final there in, in that 2000-2001 season, right? They, they then made the playoffs for the next four years, but that and, and including that last year coming out of the 0405 lockout. But from 2006 and 2007, all the way to 16-17, right? So you're talking 10 seasons. They only made the playoffs three times. Now, this will be the fourth straight year that they've made under Jared Bednar. And they lost in the first round his first year. But then each of the last two years, this team has been building. They've gone to game seven in round two in each of the last two years and lost. Like this has been, this has been coming for them. It's going to be a hell of a challenge for the St. Louis Blues. They're going to, and to summarize it pretty much for you, and we'll get into the other series here now, but to summarize it, Jordan Bennington's going to have to be spectacular. The Blues are going to have to keep it five on five as much as possible. And when they can't, the special teams are going to have to be a difference maker. And then the physicality from top to bottom in the lineup is going to have to happen for the St. Louis Blues to have a chance in this series. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I, it's impossible to disagree with it. I just have – I just sense that I have a much, much – I believe much more that they're capable of accomplishing those tasks than many. I, I think this, this is the best matchup the Blues could have hoped for in the first round. And you'll hear a different tone from me in the second round because if there is one team in this tournament that concerns me, it's likely the second round opponent. Well, well that's not true. I, I think I think a team like Washington or Boston would be brutal matchups down the road. But for the for the time being, it's the biggest matchup that concerns me, not Colorado. I truly believe that Game Seven will determine this series because exactly what we discussed and exactly what you said will likely come to fruition. I have too much belief in the guys, and when a guy like O'Reilly comes out and says what he said, my, you know, that's—he's not a talker. He's not a talker. He's a doer. I can, oh, if I can, O'Reilly didn't believe that this team had found itself, he wouldn't say that. I asked—I asked a couple of guys, and then I asked Doug Armstrong this question. I said, "When when the team finally clinched a playoff spot, was it basically like a sigh of massive relief?" And he says, "Yeah, it really was." He goes, and he thought it was actually going to take a little longer for them to do it. So he gave, he gave the team a lot of credit for being able to get it done quicker with the way things had been going. But the reason I say that is th- this was such a challenging year um, in, in every way. I mean, you're you're flying out to Los Angeles thinking you're going to play the Kings. You're stuck in your hotel, and the Kings can't get out of Denver, right? You fly up to Minnesota, and the game gets postponed. Uh, I mean, so many different things happen, different schedules, everything involved. Then you deal with the, just the magnitude of injuries that the Blues dealt with 
just day in, day out, right up to the very end where Tarasenko and Dunn weren't available for the last game of the regular season due to injury, right? And and and, and your top shutdown defenseman wasn't healthy essentially all season long. This team just needed a chance to get there and hit the reset, and I sense a real determination now with that reset. Having said all that, I actually, guys, I almost love the fact right now that nobody's given the Blues a chance because I honest to goodness can see, I mean, it, there's a lot of if this, then that, but 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 I, I see the paths to victory for this team and how they can do it. They won their last two games against the Colorado Avalanche. They played really well, so they built some confidence to it. And the other bottom line is you know to go on a long playoff run, you're going to have to get lucky. You know, you're going to have to get some things going your way. In other words, you're going to need you know, you can need San Jose to beat Vegas. So the Blues ended up playing San Jose in the conference final in 2019 instead of in, in, instead of Las Vegas. Things along those kind of lines. And this situation is set up with because of the regular season. If things that happen in the regular season play out in the Vegas series against Minnesota and the Blues are able to get past Colorado, then you have the recipe for what could be a long run. There's so many of those things that happen that make these playoffs just absolutely fantastic. But I'm not... I'm not sold when I'm seeing all the all the predictors and uh, the the gambling sites that that are putting the Blues at at the absolute bottom of the list of having the lowest chance of winning the Stanley Cup of any team in these playoffs. And I'm definitely not sold that this series is an 85 percent to 15 percent Colorado favorite. Colorado should be favored based on the regular season, but I'm not so sure it should be that lopsided. That's why whatever whatever you rank anything, you certainly have appreciation for the numbers presented you, but the numbers can only be a part of the equation because you can never factor in tenacity and heart when it comes to sports into any numbers when trying to extrapolate how best the series is going to play out. I'm always fascinated by Ruby's coaching technique on the road, even during the regular season. He, he likes to start, you know, the, the, the visiting team has to provide their starting lineup first, of course, and then the home team gets to decide who they want to throw out against them. And Bruby likes to play that that first, the king, king right pawn fourth line, if you will, in the chess match of, of matchups. And most of the time, the other team throws their fourth line out as well. And then it's who blinks first, who throws their top line out first. The Blues are a much more even balanced team. You don't know who's going to be the best line on the Blues team on any given night. You can guess it'll be the O'Reilly Perron line, but you don't know. With Colorado, Landeskog, Ranton, and McKinnon, you know that's going to be their top line every night. And who does Craig Ruby want out against them? And who does Jared Bednar want to play them against? I'll be fascinated to see how that breaks down both in the games in Denver and the games in St. Louis. It's Bourbon Biscuits and Burn Burner. It's our podcast. Come your way every week. Thanks for checking it out as we're breaking down the Blues Colorado first round series that drops the puck on Monday. These two teams are going to play every other day. No back to backs. In this series, as a matter of fact, no back-to-backs in any series except for the two series in the North Division with the Canadian teams because they're due to the COVID situations that surrounded Vancouver. Those series are starting middle of next week, and they're going to try to get them because of back-to-backs on target with the other series. So that's that's a positive side. Uh, with John Hadley, along with Tim Woodburn, I'm Chris Kerber. Again, thanks for checking it out for us. Uh, guys, why don't we just take a quick bounce and let's go Let's go through these other playoff series with some quick thoughts and comments. What do you say? 
Sounds good. good. All right, let's let's start with the uh, Mass Mutual East Division. Pittsburgh, the number one seed against the New York Islanders, the number four seed. Let's just rattle through things that intrigue you. Uh, is this the end of the uh, the Pittsburgh era with Sidney Crosby? At some point in time, Pittsburgh has to stand to be accounted for. Sidney Crosby has to put this team on its back. And they're going up against a team that's going to make life very, very serious. Pittsburgh will probably play its least talented team in round one of the NHL playoffs, but it might prove to be the most difficult team for them to overcome. I, I think Sidney Crosby still has a lot in the tank. I think it's incredible that that team, the adversity they had this season, won on to win that division. From a point standpoint, I like Pittsburgh to go through. I love the fact that, uh, as you put it, Sidney Crosby kind of put this team on his back and got them to lead that division. The Islanders are so tight defensively, but with the injuries to Anders Lee and things, I, and yeah, I know they made some trades to with the New Jersey Devils to bring in some offense or try to, but I don't know if the New York Islanders are going to have enough offense in the end. So that one, that one will be fun to watch. The other series in the East, I think, could be maybe the marquee series or one of the two marquee series in the first round. Washington versus Boston. Washington. Go ahead, go ahead, Tim. Washington had a, a banged up Alex Ovechkin at the end of the regular season. I think as goes uh, the grade eight, as goes the Capitals. I mean, he is their go to guy. I mean, I know I realize they're a balanced team, and they got Manta and they, uh, late in the season. They got Oshie and Baxter. They got all kinds of a secondary help. But but as goes grade eight, goes the Capitals. And if he's a factor, I, I like them to move on. And if he's not, they won't. All I can say is, wow. I mean, this is this is one of those series that I have no rooting interest in. I have no one living in either city. I've never lived in either city. Shouldn't really care. But, I mean, I guarantee you, every game of this series, I'll be in front of the team. Because not only do I think the Capitals have a very interesting lineup capable of winning the Stanley Cup, I think Boston might be the most underrated team in this tournament because they might have the most underrated number one line in the NHL with what McDavid's done, with what McKinnon's done. I mean, there have been guys who have gotten their just desserts. That Colorado line is Boston's number one line at times have been absolutely spectacular down the stretch. Well, and they've got known as the perfection line. They've got the, the chemistry and the history to prove it. And they hate oh, each other. That's, a, that's my favorite part of, yes, about the series. Yes. I don't think there's two teams that hate each other worse in a first-round matchup than those two teams. It'll be fun to watch it just for that reason alone. Just to watch Chara have to play against Boston. Yeah. Just yeah. to watch. Just to watch. But you know the other thing I like, and, and the reason that I lean towards Washington in this one, guys, I just saw the way that team reacted to T.J. Oshie when he uh, had the hat trick and playing the first game after his father passed away. Man, I saw a team that was all about team, and you got to be all about team in the playoffs. I mean, and and I so I, I I to me I think that's what gives Washington an edge here. All right, let's go to the Discover Central Division. This one's fascinating because Nashville really turned it on in the second half to get into a playoff spot, eventually eliminate the Dallas Stars, who were in the Stanley Cup Final last season. Carolina and Nashville, and Nashville handled Carolina in the final two games of the regular season. Nashville had a long, long, long run with Pecorine as their playoff goal. He started 89 playoff games in a row for that franchise. That's unbelievable. In the bubble last year, Juicy Soros came in, 
and uh, played wasn't great. I, I uh, officially the Rene era is over, I assume, and I know that Yaros is going to play at least in Game One for them in this series. I I, I don't like Nashville at all in this. I, I I think I think Nashville was lucky to get in. I think there's teams in that division that are better than Nashville that didn't get in, but they played good enough in the end to get into the playoffs. I, I, if I were an odds maker, I would make them the worst choice to win the cup of anybody that qualifies. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago, I probably would have reiter, reiterated what you said. And I still think in the end, you'll probably, probably be proven right. But I will say this much. From what I've seen out of Pekka Rene in his last few starts, if that's the Pekka Rene who's in the playoffs, boys, this series could be much closer than expected. Well, Rod Brendamore has built a team that is built to win in the playoffs, similar to what the St. Louis Blues were uh, in 2019, similar to what the Washington Capitals were in 2018. Um, he, he's got a team that can beat you in several different ways. And and if he's got to adjust the style, they can do it. And that's what's going to make Carolina extremely dangerous in that series. How about the fact that you finally have, in that same division, the Florida Panthers against the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning actually come in as the lower seed in this one because of the year that Joel Quenville had with the Florida Panthers. Is this a series where the difference might just be the experience of the players in the playoffs? Or how about the coach? I mean, how is Joel Quenville not the runaway coach of the year? I remember a couple of podcasts uh, we did early in the year where, where comments were made like, you know, well, nobody expects Florida to do anything. and Nobody expected Florida to do anything at the, at the beginning of the season. And are they not one of the top six teams in the NHL? Is it from their consistency standpoint, from game one to game 56, it was incredible. Uh, and, and Tampa Bay, you know, they've got the cup experience on that team that has been there, that has been deep. They've also got the experience of that team that got smacked in their teeth and punched in the mouth like Mike Tyson in a four-game sweep by Columbus a couple years ago. So I like Florida. I think Bill Quenville's a runway coach of the year, and I like Florida to finally rise up and remind the world that Florida has two hockey teams. Well, I look at just like the National Series. If Renee's in the Nets, guys, I mean, his, his last five outings, he was really good. I mean, he was spectacular. It was spread out over several weeks. But, I mean, if Rene gets an opportunity to be a difference in the playoffs, I like I, I like Nashville to be competitive. If Stamkos and Kucherov, if they actually play and they're at the top of their game, I can't see the Panthers winning it. But if they're not, I wouldn't be surprised to see them win it. Because, again, I think the problem with Joe Quinville is until he went to Chicago, he never got his just desserts as a tactician. But is, is, is Kucherov going to play in series? Yeah, right now I'm they're saying, expecting yeah, him yeah. to be in the first round. Yeah, yeah. wow, yeah. <laughs> good for them. Yeah, you yeah. know what, Tim? If, if, I, I'm gonna. I got to tell you, I don't think Quenville's just. I don't think he's the runaway coach of the year. I, I, I honestly think, like I, I, I truly believe this. I, I think, I think you have to consider Sullivan and Pittsburgh. I think you absolutely have to consider Rod Brendamore with with the Carolina Hurricanes, and then at least in the other divisions, I think it, it's fair to consider the job that Dean Evison did with the with the Minnesota Wild. I don't know that there's such a clear cut Coach of the Year candidate, and I'm I'm actually inclined, and I have a vote on this right now. Uh, I'm inclined to vote uh, 
I, I am inclined to vote Rod Brindamore as my leading candidate for coach of the year. Well, he won a lot of games with three goalies, didn't he? I mean, if, if there, how'd you like to be in his predicament of which goalie to play? And that's not the only series, by the way, in which you got in which it's not a given who's going to start game one for the team in that series. Toronto has that issue with the uh, with their two goalies. Carolina's had three goalies play great this year. You know, there's and there's other series that are like that as well. Uh, fascinating to see how that all takes down. All right, let's head up. Let's head. Uh, let's head to the north here and go to the Scotia North Division. All right. As you mentioned, they haven't seen each other since the 70s in the playoffs. Toronto versus Montreal. I don't see how Montreal wins this unless uh, Carey Price or Jake Allen steal the series. Yeah, I, I would I would tend to agree. I, I just I, – I just – until the Maple Leafs take control of this series, I, I just think you're going to see as intense – a playoff series as we will see this entire postseason because neither one of those Montreal doesn't want to go down the drain again, especially losing to Toronto and Toronto. Can you imagine, can you imagine the Toronto media if they're upset by the Montreal Canadians in the first round? I mean, you have a natural old school robbery that is either going to dictate the fact but what Montreal has been doing as a franchise over the last several years mandates a change or that Toronto remains the most talented, softest, most disappointing postseason team of the last 20 years in the NHL. It's and, just, and, this series just fascinates me. And, and, and I go back to what I said with goaltending, and here's a series, Chris, in which I ask both of you, are you 100% sure who's going to start in that in game one for either team? Carey Price missed the last 13 games in the regular season with a concussion. You're just going to throw him right back into the playoffs? And you've got Frederick Anderson coming back after what he's done? And, and, and they've, got, they've got two goalies on the Toronto side who have both played spectacular lights out at times this year? I mean, are you, are you betting your life on who's going to start game one for either team in this nope. series? Nope. Nope, but Toronto's got to be one of those teams that has approved. I mean, to look at both both of these teams, and, and we, we might as well just throw Edmonton and Winnipeg in there now, too, right? Um, now, look, Edmonton did not have a problem with Winnipeg in the head-to-head series. Winnipeg won two of them. Edmonton won seven of them, and and Edmonton scored a goal and a half more per game than than uh, than the Winnipeg Jets. And the Winnipeg Jets were inconsistent, but the Winnipeg Jets do have some seasoned uh, you know playoff players. And, and they do have Hellebuck. So we know that goaltending can steal a series, guys. And there's we're not going to go through all of these playoff series and not have an upset without a goalie stealing a series. It's just not going to happen, in my opinion. There's too many good goaltenders playing in, in, in some of these underdog teams. that, that it, It'll be almost impossible for that to, not to happen. I'll tell you, there's only two players in the league that scored over 69 points. Dreisaitl had 83, and then McDavid had a ridiculous 104, I believe. Uh, it, it's all or nothing with that team. And I like the Winnipeg Jets in this series. I like the Winnipeg Jets just from a historical standpoint. They were Gretzky's, they were Gretzky's doormat for the entire decade of the 80s. And to now finally, 30 years later, two franchise changes later, get the opportunity for a punch back I like the Winnipeg Jets. 
I just guys and I, and, and I look, John, I, I look at this right, and and this is gonna the throwback the almost to Tim's point here, the there could be so a real throwback nature to the Edmonton Oilers going on a run, right? Because if if the Edmonton Oilers go on a run, they're going to be outscoring the opposition. I, I don't see them. I don't see them being the stalwart defensive team. You know that, that that's going to be excellent defensively. You know, I just I just think in a playoffs, you've got Evan Bouchard, Ethan Bear, Chris Russell, Adam Adam Larson. You know, and now Darnell Nurse is, is you know is, is a stud in every way. But Tyson Berry, I don't know that they're going to be able to withstand some of the pounding that's going in there. I do not have faith in Mike Smith as a goaltender. So I don't know if they're what they do with Smith or eventually have to go to Koskinen. And don't forget, in each of these North series, there is going to be a back-to-back. So you might either you might see a goaltender either have to switch or a goalie's going to end up playing three games in four nights all over this thing. The goaltending in Edmonton, believe me, especially if it's Mike Smith, the goaltending in Edmonton could be the Achilles heel that allows Winnipeg to, to beat the, the, the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, I... For Edmonton, I think to, to go on a deep run, they're going to have to become one of those teams that if, if if they allow four, they've got to score five. If they allow five, they've got to score six. And they might just actually have the offense to do it. And they, Edmonton has, uh, again, showing the need to get a life. One of the things that, as I was watching is Edmonton play hockey this year, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if they get into a playoff series and that third line steps up, if James Neal plays out of his mind, if Chase Tom plays well, that third line could prove problematic for an op- for the opposition. Edmonton's deeper among forwards than I think people give him credit for, but of all the playoff teams' curves, I'm not so sure that they don't have the least talented defense. No, I, I wouldn't dis- I wouldn't disagree with you. And then that's that's going to be that's that's going to be their challenge now. I would say this: Can you imagine a second round series with Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid going head to head with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and company? That could be fun. What kind of what kind of rating do you think that series would get in Canada? Oh, that that would be off the charts, and I'm not sure it would even get a blip in the United States. You're probably right, but I'll, I'll tell you this much right now. There'll be one old boy who'll be watching that thing with oh, great interest. Oh, Holy yeah. Snakey. Absolutely. Well, either way, so that, that takes us through there, fellas. Uh, I, you want to do some level of predicting in terms of Stanley Cup. I, I hate predictions, to be honest with you, because I, I think they just expose people for being just – I, I think they're dumb. I like I like well, if I had, if down, I but, but if you have to – I mean, feel free, but I, I just – it's sort of like I, you know, I, was, I was doing a radio show and, you know, with, with, with a – Two people that ended up saying, "Well, the Blues weren't going to make the playoffs." Oh, okay, well, well, you look good now, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's if I had a if if I had a map to follow, I would offer a prediction, but I have no idea what the matchups are for round three. Right, so it's impossible, and that's the great point for the for fans me. that don't know that what's going to happen is after the second round, there's no conference finals because there's no conferences. There's just going to be semifinals, and the seeding is going to be reset. So the highest seed remaining after the first two rounds is the one seed, then the second, then the third, then the fourth. 
So it's uh, you're absolutely right. We the cool part about that is we could see a matchup in a in a semifinal round that you would never get a chance to see again when they go back to the conference scenarios. And let's not forget that you know home ice advantage uh, means a lot of, of different things to a lot of different people. But in my in my experience opinion, home ice advantage is all about the the seventh man that the fan experience and the and the emotion and the intensity that your fan base can bring. I was, I was ecstatic to see that uh, Enterprise Center is going to be at, at about 50% capacity, I guess, for the Colorado games and, and maybe yep. more in round two and beyond. So so finally that true meeting of home ice advantage is going to come into play. And and uh, and I like that for the St. Louis Blues because they do just fine on the road. They've been a, they've been a great road team this regular season. They were a great road team the year they won the Cup. It, it be, and, and they were they were very surprisingly to me able to flip-flop a horrible first half at home with a very respectable second half at home to where they actually ended up with a winning record at home. Who would have guessed that in February? And now all of a sudden you're going to add some, some fan base and some intensity in there, some fans who've been away from the sport for a long time and had that extra oomph. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Absolutely. So I'll tell you what, Curbs, going back to your point, you know, the more things change, the more they stay. One guy today was trying to be funny and tell me well the only guarantee is we won't have two Canadian teams in the semifinals I said brother you don't have to worry about that they always lose in the first two rounds been like that for 100 years going to be like that for another 100 years once Guy Lafleur retired Canadian teams became irrelevant yeah when Messier won the couple of that different right no see that would have been Gretzky no Oh, okay. Well, well, Messier won one without Gretzky, is what I'm saying. So I'm trying to. And he, I'm trying and to, he won. And he won 14 with Gretzky. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, this is going to be exciting, fellas. The playoffs are finally here. Looking forward to getting with you next week as we uh, start to break down this series and how things go between the Blues and the Avs. I have one hope for this playoffs, boys. I hope to see Tom Wilson on his ass about 12 dozen times. Who's going to put him there? Oh, there better be someone. Jake DeBrusque. There better be someone. Is if there is Trent, one boy uh, in this St. league. St. Louis and Trent Frederick. There you go. If, if he gets to play. There you go. We have to say, I mean, this is this. Oh, well. That's for another topic for another show. That's one guy that needs to be put in this place because the league's too gutless to do it. <laughs> every, time, right. every time Tom Will, every time Tom Wilson's on the ice, I think of Ray Liotta and Field of Dreams when he's giving advice to the kid showing up for his first as bad. He goes, he goes, look, he goes, uh, watch out for down and away, but look out for one in your ear. <laughs> That's what you got. You got to have when Tom Wilson's on the ice. It's, it, there's, there's, it, there's like in terms of ranking dirty players in the NHL, there's Tom Wilson and there's a distant second. Oh, that is, uh, that is the truth. All right, fellas, thanks for the great job this week. Uh, enjoy the weekend with the playoffs starting on Saturday. It's a staggered start because of COVID, but that's all right. That means we've got playoff hockey every single day now, hopefully for about the next month and a half to two months, and hopefully it involves the St. Louis Blues as well. We'll talk to you once the series begins, fellas. Thanks again, Chris. Have a good one, boys. All right, that's John Hadley. That's Tim Woodburn. I'm Chris Kerber. It's Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. Tell your friends about it. Tell them to download it. You can get it on every one of the podcast platforms, and it's housed on Podcast One. We'll see you once the playoffs begin. Blues and Avalanche drop the puck on Monday night. A new episode drops your way next week.